As we continue in our series in the Apostles' Creed, we are going to be looking at different parts of Jesus' life, starting this week with the statement, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. But before we get there this morning, let me ask you this. How's your reading going in the New Testament? Are you still doing it? Are you still doing it? Some of you are looking the other way. Some of you, hey, still reading? I hope you've had a chance to check out the blogs. That have been happening. Man, we have some really talented writers here at Mount Vernon. Um, It is truly a blessing to be able to read those and see how God is working in the hearts of of different people here. So I encourage you, listen, even if you haven't started your reading plan, whether you're reading the New Testament or the whole Bible, or, or whether you haven't had the chance to check out the blog, start today. Start today. It's never too late to start. Take the opportunity today to uh, download the Read Scripture app. It's, it's a great way to keep track as well as to be reminded or pick up some of the paper copies of the reading plan. That way we can all stay together. And don't get discouraged if you miss a day. Have you ever missed a day before? I, I have. Don't get discouraged when you miss a day. Just pick up and start again. There was a story of a lady who lived by herself, and one day she came home and she found her house was being robbed. It was in the process of being robbed, and the robber is standing over here. He didn't hear the lady come in, and and this older lady, she comes up, she sees the robber, and she says, Stop! Acts 2.38. And the robber, who doesn't see the lady behind him, just hears, does this. And stays there. Frozen, completely frozen. The lady calls the police, and the police officer comes in and sees this older lady standing there and the robber standing there like this. But see, the robber, he was a burly guy. And this lady was a tiny little girl. And the police officer, he he goes up to the robber, and of course he puts him in handcuffs, and he says, "Um, I'm just curious. You're you're so much bigger than than she is. Why didn't you run? All she did was yell a Bible verse at him. Acts 2.38 says, um, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. All she did was yell a Bible verse at you. Acts 2.38. And he said, a Bible verse? And the police officer said, yeah, a Bible verse. Why didn't you run? And he said, well, I I thought she said that she had an axe. And 2.38. Now, now I'm not telling you that if you do your New Testament challenge, that when somebody robs your house, you're going to be able to say a scripture and they're going to stop, right? I'm not saying that. But it's always good to know the word, isn't it? Now, if you weren't here last week or or the week before and, and you didn't know, we are in the process of working through the Apostles' And let me just say this before we begin. We're going to stand and recite it in a minute. But we don't believe that this creed is something that is a good luck charm. When we stand and say it together, it does not mean that all of a sudden your bank account is going to increase tenfold or or any physical problems are going to go away or that you're just going to have good luck the rest of the week. That's not what this is. It's something that we do to stand together in unity. Declaring what we believe. Now there are three things that we're trying to pull out of this study on the Apostles' Creed. The first thing is clarity. 
that we understand clearer who God is, who Jesus is, what's the importance of the crucifixion and the resurrection? Why does it matter that Jesus is coming again someday? The second thing is depth. That we go from a a shallow understanding, and I'm not saying you have a shallow understanding, but that we grow together in depth of our theology. And the last one is unity, that it brings us closer in our understanding and our relationship with God and closer to one another. With that being said, would you stand with me and we'll read the creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Father, would you be with us this morning? We thank you that we know that you're always here, but Lord, may you open our eyes and our ears, Father, to understand what you're trying to communicate to us this morning. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you be seated? So last week we looked at God as our Father, as Almighty, as the Creator, and this week we're going to look at Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. Barna Research Group in 2014 did a study on what do Americans believe about who Jesus is. I know it's not going to be super easy to read all of this, but their study concluded that 92% believe that Jesus Christ was a real person who actually lived. 92% of Americans. Now, this is back in 2014. That was six years ago. Can you believe it? 2014? But 92% of Americans said, yes, I believe Jesus was a real person. The historicity of Jesus. He actually walked on this earth. Now, when you start to get into the question of deity, it gets a little bit more complicated. 92% say Jesus did actually walk on the earth, but only 56% of Americans said that he was God. 26% believe that he was a religious or spiritual leader, and 18% have no idea. So the historicity isn't really in question, but the deity, that's where the waters seem to get a little muddied for some people. But as the video said, the question of who is Jesus, and that's what we're going to answer this week and over the next couple of weeks in looking at the life of Jesus and why all of the things that happened were so important. So who is Jesus to you? There's so many different thoughts about who Jesus is. Some people say he is a good teacher. Some people say he is a good man. Some people think he's a legend, that he never truly existed. Some people believe he was a con artist. Some people believe he was a prophet. 
Actually, Muslims believe that Jesus was named Isa, and he was a prophet of God. Some people only think of Jesus as a swear word. Some people think of Jesus as a son of God, not the son of God. Very different things. C.S. Lewis, um, as well as Watchman Nee, wrote something uh, I think that, that, that is very brilliant and, and very insightful on who Jesus is. Let me read this to you. It's from Mere Christianity. Here's what C.S. Lewis writes. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. And this is what they would say. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Basically what C.S. Lewis is trying to say here is, is you can't say that Jesus was a good teacher or a good moral person, but he wasn't God. Right? Because why in the world would you believe somebody who claimed to be God and say, well, they're a good person, but, but you know, what they're saying about God, that's not true. But some of the things he taught was good. The creed identifies three things about Jesus in the part we're going to look at today. First of all, it calls him Jesus Christ, his only son, and our son. Turn with me this morning to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to look at verses 13 to 18. When Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? There's that question, the same question that was asked in the video it's not about what the person next to you says about who Jesus is. It's about who do you say that Jesus is. Maybe you are a high schooler in the room or a college student and, and you've been kind of living off of your parents' faith. But there's going to come a day when you're sitting in a room with a professor who's going to say something completely different about who Jesus is. And the question is, who do you believe Jesus is? Because what Jesus asked his disciples here was, okay, you know what other people are saying, but what matters is what are you saying? What do you believe? In your heart of hearts, who do you believe that I am? <coughs> Excuse me, and Peter says this. Verse 16, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Who is Jesus? 
Now let me give you a little bit of world history, a little bit of Bible history this morning. Um, they are in, if you look at the very beginning of this part, verse 13, they are in the district of Caesarea Philippi. Now back in the 4th century B.C., Alexander the Great conquered this area, and he built an altar for the Greek god Pan. Pan is where we actually get um, our, or the religion today, pantheism from. If you're familiar with pantheism, pantheism, pantheism is that God is in everything, and everything is God. So um, basically there's no such thing as evil because God is everything, and we're all connected, and, and it's a mess. Around 20 B.C., Caesar Augustus, uh, who now was in control of what was called Panium, gave Panium to Herod the Great. And when Herod died, this area was given to his son, Philip. Philip decided to name this area after Caesar and himself, Caesarea Philippi. However, one of the things that is easily missed is you have this worship going on to the god Pan. There's, there's idols to Baal. There are worship of the emperor and other things like that. And it's at this place where Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Here in, in the heart of the Roman Empire, in places where there are shrines to other gods, a place that's named after the emperor himself and after Philip, Jesus looks and says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says this, you are the Christ, <laughs> the son of the living God. The Greek word for Christ is Christos, Christos meaning the anointed one, the king, right? Here in this place, Peter says, Jesus, you are the king. Over Rome? Over all of these false gods, you are the king. Not a king. You are the king. You are the Messiah, the chosen, the anointed one. That's who you are, Jesus. <laughs> who do you say that I am? The next thing the creed tells us is that Jesus is God's only son, referencing back to God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Hebrews 1, 1 to 3 says this, Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus came with the complete authority of the Godhead. He was completely God and completely man, which we'll actually get into next week when we talk about how he was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Why does that matter? We'll, we'll look at that next week. But, but see, Jesus wasn't just a person. God we see this in, in multiple ways throughout Jesus' time on earth, but one of the greatest ways that we see this is when Jesus uses the I am statements. 
referencing his equality with God. But let me point you back to Exodus chapter 3, 13 and 14. You know the story of when God's telling Moses to go into uh, Egypt and tell, the, and tell Pharaoh that it's time for the Israelites to be free. Let my people go. And, and Moses, we know Moses, he struggled with different things. He had a speech problem and other things like that. But here's how God identifies himself to Moses. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me. John 8, 58, Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. A clear reference to his equality with God. Jesus gives us seven I am statements. I am the bread of life in John 6, 35. I'm the light of the world, John 8, 12. I'm the door, John 10, 7. I'm the good shepherd, John 10, 11. I am the resurrection and the life. John eleven twenty five. 25, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6, I am the true vine. John 15, 1. Each time he is referencing his equality with God the Father. See, we, we believe in the Trinity, the, the Godhead, the three in one, all of them existing co-eternally. They've always been, they always will be, and they're all equal. The Son of God, his only son. Perhaps the, the most famous verse when we talk about Jesus being God's son is which verse? Can you help me out this morning? I heard somebody whisper it, right? Romans, no, it's John 3.16. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not, and this is the King James NIV paraphrase, whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And we look at that verse, and, and it's, it's so amazing, but at times we skip the next verse. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. The only son. Jesus was sent so that we may be saved. Yeshua, God saved. Two thirty-six says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Romans 10, 9 and 10, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. What does it mean to make Jesus Lord of your life? That confession, that declaration that Jesus is Lord is the declaration of ultimate allegiance. So the, the question this morning that we have to ask ourselves is where does our allegiance lie? What's most important in your life? Where does your allegiance lie? If we go back to Romans, uh, back to Romans was, it, was, was Rome Lord of their lives? Was their ultimate allegiance to Rome? Or was the emperor lord of their lives? The ruler of Rome? 
Or was Jesus the center of their lives? Now, I'm not talking about not being a patriotic person, not loving your country, whatever country that might be. But as Christians, without question, without doubt, our first allegiance is to God. See, it's it's not a... My, my job isn't Lord of my life. My favorite sports team isn't Lord of my life. My country's flag isn't Lord of my life. My bank account isn't Lord of my life. It has to be only Jesus. Revelation 5.12 says this, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power, wealth, and wisdom, and might and honor, I'm sure you, you've all sang the hymn at one point, crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon the throne. How, hark how heavenly anthem drowns all music but its own. Awake my soul and sing of him who died for thee and hail him as thy matchless king through all eternity. There was a, there was a chorus that was written recently and, and here's <clears throat> that's added on to this and it says, Majesty, Lord of all, let every throne before him fall. The King of kings, O come adore our God who reigns forevermore. It was Augustine who wrote, Jesus Christ is not valued at all until he is valued above all. Jesus Christ is not valued at all until he is valued above all. Now this morning, you you might declare that Jesus is king. You might believe that he is the anointed one, the Messiah. And you might believe he's God's only son. But is he Lord of your life? Is he valued above all in your life? morning, I close with Philippians 2, 5 through 10. It says this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. See, he deserves all of our praise, all of our honor, all of our heart, and all of our attention. There's going to come a day, whether or not you have made Jesus Lord of your life, where every knee will have to bow at the name of Jesus, where every Muslim will bow at the name of Jesus, and every Hindu will bow at the name of Jesus, and every atheist will bow at the name of Jesus. Are you bowing now? I hope you are. 
I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to study your word. Father, we thank you for sending Jesus. As we look into the upcoming weeks of the crucifixion and all that is encompassed in that, our our minds are blown away into how much you truly love us to watch your own son bear the weight of sin. Father, we ask, Give us the wisdom. Give us the mercy and the grace to continue to make Jesus Christ Lord of our lives every day. Father, even those this morning who know you, who are saved, sometimes our priorities get out of whack. We need reminders. who doesn't know you, who's listening and, and has said, yes, I, I, I do believe that Jesus Christ is, is God's only son. Father, I pray that, Father, you would not let them leave this place without coming to a saving knowledge.